Mormonism 101, a book by Mormonism Research Ministries, Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, has helped many who want to understand what separates Mormonism from the Christian faith. Mormonism 101 is available at your favorite Christian bookstore or online at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday we began looking at a conference message by LDS Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. On October 2, 2022, he gave a conference message titled, Lifted Up Upon the Cross. The subtitle was, To be a follower of Jesus Christ, one must sometimes carry a burden and go where sacrifice is required and suffering is inevitable. This was found in the November 2022 edition of the Liahona Magazine, which of course traditionally carries the transcripts of the previous General Conference. In yesterday's show, we decided to give you his opening paragraph and then switch gears and go back to a message that was given by the 15th president of the church, Gordon B. Hinckley. And he talked about how he was asked by a Protestant minister why LDS churches do not have the symbol of the cross on them. And as we explained yesterday, Hinckley's answer was to us not very adequate. It was for us, this cross is the symbol of the dying Christ, while our message is a declaration of the living Christ. Eric, what I find kind of offensive about that answer is he's almost implying that those who do have the cross somehow don't look at Christ as a living Christ? Because that's just silly. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ uh, once a year specifically on Easter, and we talk about the resurrection all the time. If, if our pastors are going through the epistles of Paul, he talks about the resurrection of Christ quite often. I mean, the resurrection is a big deal to us. In fact, if it were not for the resurrection, we'd still be in our sins. Well, Bill, if you consider that the symbol today in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of course, Jesus Christ is in a much bigger font, and so Jesus is emphasized, but it's a Christus-like figure with his hands extended, and I think Latter-day Saints like that approach a lot more because it does look like a living Christ, which we accept as we believe Jesus is living as well. It's rare for the LDS Church to have Jesus on a cross. For a lot of Latter-day Saints, and especially the leaders, I think they don't like that emphasis that we as Christians put on the cross. But there is an end to the cross. There's the resurrection that is what we celebrate. But it's the cross that gives us the forgiveness of sins. And I should mention, since you brought it up, Eric, Many years ago in particular, you didn't find a whole lot of pictures of Jesus on the cross. Most of the time when it came to the atonement, it wasn't the cross. And this is what I find kind of ironic about what Holland's going to do in his talk. The emphasis was on the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we've mentioned many times on this show, you don't see anywhere in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is purchasing our redemption. He's mainly praying for himself about 
the future event that's going to take place, which is him going to the cross. He doesn't mention us, for instance, in his garden prayer at all. But yet Latter-day Saints want to tell us that this is where the atonement took place. Well, now they're kind of spreading it out. It's not just in the garden, but it's also on the cross which makes me wonder, well, what part of the atonement took place in the garden and what part had to take place on the cross? What was left undone? The LDS Church really doesn't give us an answer for that. But we would argue that the atonement took place on the cross. And, of course, the stamp of approval, you might say, is in Jesus' resurrection. And, of course, that becomes very important to us, as Jeffrey Holland and Gordon B. Hinckley are going to both insist that it's important for them as well. I would almost say when you do see pictures of Jesus, and you see them all the time in the magazines and the manuals and other things like that, it's a sanitized Jesus. And oftentimes... A white Jesus with blue eyes. In fact, I'm looking at the website right now, the thechurchofjesuschrist.org, and in the conference message, Drawing Closer to the Savior, there's a picture of a white-looking Jesus, European at least, and he has blue eyes. Well, that's not how Jesus would have looked, but it seems like in Mormonism, that kind of image is, is appreciated, and they gravitate toward that. Well, Jeffrey R. Holland, in his talk, as we mentioned yesterday, starts off by saying, Years ago, following a graduate school discussion on American religious history, a fellow student asked me, quote, Why have the Latter-day Saints not adopted the cross that other Christians use as a symbol of their faith? And the reason why we drew the parallel to what Gordon B. Hinckley said back in his article, The Symbol of Our Faith, that appeared in the Ensign Magazine in April of 2005 is because he talks about a, a pastor asking a very similar question of himself in 1975. Holland continues in his talk and says this, Inasmuch as such questions about the cross are often a question about our commitment to Christ, I immediately told him that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints considers the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be the central fact, the crucial foundation, the chief doctrine, and the ultimate expression of divine love and God's grand plan for the salvation of his children. I explained that the saving grace inherent in that act was essential for and universally gifted to the entire human family from Adam and Eve to the end of the world. I quoted the prophet Joseph Smith who said, quote, All things which pertain to our religion are only appendages, end quote, to the atonement of Jesus Christ. Why didn't Gordon B. Hinckley answer that way? I'm just throwing it out there. You would think, okay, that answer sounds pretty satisfying, I guess. Although it doesn't really explain a lot of the statements that LDS leaders have made about Christians and their use of the cross, but it seems to be a little bit better than what Gordon B. Hinckley said back in the 1970s to that Protestant minister. Holland goes on to say, Then I read him what Nephi had written 600 years before Jesus' birth. And the angel spake unto me, saying, Look, and I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, who was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. Now, I'm sure that this fellow student may not have been all that aware about the Book of Mormon and all the problems with the Book of Mormon. You see, if he had said that to me, my question would have gone along the lines is, you mean to tell me that 600 years before Christ's birth, there were people that had that much information about what was going to take place regarding Jesus? The fact that he would be called the Lamb of God, that goes back to John the Baptist. 
what Joseph Smith is really doing here in the Book of Mormon is what he does all the time. He takes all these different phrases from different verses, crams them all together, and you got to admit, it sounds pretty biblical because this is where he's getting it. But he's given the idea that these people 600 years before Christ had all this abundance of information when even in the Bible we're not given that much information until it actually happens. Doesn't that seem, at least on the surface, to give you the impression that what you have in the Book of Mormon is really nothing more than plagiarism from the New Testament? Because it seems very unlikely that you would get this much information 600 years before Christ. I looked and beheld the Lamb of God who was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world, especially since you have that same kind of verbiage given to us directly in the New Testament. It, it just seems suspicious, though, that the Old Testament prophecies don't specifically ever name the cross. And here you have a specific image of the cross and this Messiah who was going to be slain for the sins of the world. Holland continues and says, I was about to quote the Apostle Paul when I noticed that my friend's eyes were starting to glaze over. A quick look at his wristwatch apparently reminded him that he needed to be somewhere, anywhere, and he dashed off to his fictitious appointment. Thus ended our conversation. Now that's an interesting thing to say because he's basically saying that this person that he was talking to, this fellow student, was being deceptive with him. It's kind of funny, though, Eric, because we were talking as we were getting ready to record this show. We've certainly had experiences where you could kind of see eyes glaze over as we're trying to explain our position to Latter-day Saints, and especially with missionaries who have told us that they have plenty of time to talk to us. And then all of a sudden, oh, we've got an appointment that they had to go to. Now, that seems particularly odd since we already asked for a certain amount of their time and they had no problem giving us that amount of time. But when it started to get a little bit uncomfortable for them, all of a sudden they had a meeting to go to that they did not mention to us before, which cut our conversation very short. How did he know that this person he was talking to dashed off to his fictitious appointment? He doesn't give us the details. Maybe he has some evidence that shows that it was a fictitious appointment. I don't know. But he certainly is not making this individual look good by throwing that into his talk. Well, he goes on in the next paragraph to say, This morning, some 50 years later, I am determined to finish that explanation, even if every single solitary one of you start looking at your wristwatches. As I attempt to explain why we generally do not use the iconography of the cross, I wish to make abundantly clear our deep respect and profound admiration for the faith-filled motives and devoted lives of those who do. Now, here's where I have a problem, because when you go back in LDS history, we don't usually see that kind of respect that Holland is trying to imply in this talk. If we were to go back and look at some of the statements that were made by LDS leaders, we find that they're actually critical about Christians' use of the cross, even though Holland himself is going to be pretty proud about the fact that their symbolism is very different from the rest of professing Christianity. We need to go back and look at some of the statements that were made by these past leaders. For instance, 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith in his book, Answers to Gospel Questions, this is volume 4, page 17, under The Wearing of the Cross, 
This is what he says. To many like the writer, such a custom is repugnant and contrary to the true worship of our Redeemer. Let me stop you there, Eric. Does that sound like what Jeffrey Holland is saying here? Jeffrey Holland is trying to be respectful, I'm sure. Joseph Fielding Smith isn't trying to be respectful at all. Notice, he says that the wearing of the cross, he's going to say, is repugnant and contrary to the true worship of our Redeemer. My question is, is what changed between Joseph Fielding Smith and the lack of respect that he seems to have, and now all of a sudden Jeffrey Holland doesn't seem to have that same repugnance, I guess, for those who do wear a cross. Well, and maybe in that day as well, remember, people like to be called Mormons, for instance, and they didn't care if you thought they were Christian or not. But today, it seems like the Latter-day Saints want to be known as Christian. They're going to try to agree more than disagree, at least publicly. Well, in tomorrow's show, we're going to continue looking at what Joseph Fielding Smith said in his book, Answers to Gospel Questions, Volume 4, page 17. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism. We hope you've enjoyed today's edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. But did you know you can also listen to past broadcasts at your convenience? Simply go to Mormonism Research Ministries' website at mrm.org. Again, that's mrm.org. And scroll down to the box that says, Listen to the Podcast. Click here, and you'll find links to past shows that cover a number of pertinent subjects. Feel free to download the shows to your favorite listening device, and by all means, please share them with your friends. Once again, that's mrm.org.